Welcome to The Advertising Show, America's only radio program focusing on advertising, media, marketing, product development, branding, new media, sales and customer relations. Stay with us for entertaining marketing discussion and our special guest interview. Now, here are your hosts, Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. Welcome back, and if you haven't heard it enough already, Happy New Year. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, let's get on with this show in the tough economic times that we're having here. Pass a drink. <laughs> you know, you still celebrate. I am. I've got the hat, the little whistle, and everything. <laughs> Tom Asacker is our special guest today out of New Hampshire. Tom is the author of a book called A Little Less Conversation. We're just going to have a little more conversation with him uh, here on uh, today's show. We look forward to it as well. Uh, we've also got, um, just a few moments away, Jean Bliss. Emotions, not stuff, is what the title of hers is today. And we also have uh, Shameen Abbas a little bit later on. Cultivate your publicist. And uh, we'll find out what that's all about, too, as well. So... Uh, good things happening here. You made it through New Year's and uh, you're into the new year and hopefully with a smile on your face and with a bright attitude as we talked about, uh, we've got uh, nothing but smiles coming for 09 right. and uh, it's uh, here at the AdvertisingShow.com. Being brought to you by, I didn't say this yet, Advertising Age Magazine. Visit online at AdAge.com and by Captivate Network, you can visit them at Captivate.com, the advertising show, a big radio midgets production. production. Yes, we go. Uh, we have some media post news uh, here. Despite the economy's troubles, well, here we go talking about the doggone economy. Hmm. U.S. retailers are continuing to direct marketing dollars to search campaigns, according to a recent report from Search Ignite. Well, of course they're going to say that. In fact, investments in search marketing by retailers rose 33% year over year during the first half of the fourth quarter of last year. Investments were made across uh, major search engines like Google, MSN, and Yahoo, although retailers typically spend more on search marketing in the uh, fourth quarter of the calendar year. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. 08 showed a marked uh, uptick compared with the uh, year-ago quarter between October and mid-November. Spending rose about 58% among retailers, about 40% in the same period for 07. So uh, it's on the upswing. You know, I didn't mention this, but I was doing some online uh, shopping last Christmas, and mm -hmm. I uh, bought several things, and then I got up from my seat and got mugged on my way to my car. <laughs> Right there at my house. No, I didn't. It was, but that I would be interesting, not. you know. They, a lot of this uh, criminal activity going on during the holidays. They, they should give it a rest. I mean, you know, uh, the criminals. Well, you see it on television. You know, be careful, and you know. Yeah. Uh, but but it's interesting because you're only supposed to be careful between uh, Thanksgiving and, and Christmas when you're shopping. The rest of the time, you know, just <laughs> the, do whatever you want. Leave your windows down. You should figure this out, then, throw, huh? Throw stuff in the back yeah. seat. You know, put a little right. sign on the top of your car. You know, Ray, uh, real quickly, because I know we've got a break for. Uh, uh, is it Shamine or Jean we have? No, uh, uh, it's uh, Jean. Yeah. Uh, marketers are flocking to China's biggest TV network. Local and international advertisers pledge to spend 1.4, this is billion dollars, Ray, to run commercials on China's top TV uh, network next year. That's called, uh, I'm saying next year, meaning this new year, mm -hmm. uh, indicated uh, continued confidence in the uh, spending habits of the Chinese consumer market despite the global economic downturn. The commitment was made during China Central Television's version of the U.S. network's upfront ad sales, uh, an unusual live auction of CCTV primetime. Participants included domestic Chinese companies as well as global giants giants such as yeah. coca-cola wow yeah really well it's interesting because uh 
1.4 billion uh, to run next year. Well, this year I keep saying next year. Uh, that's a, a decent chunk of change. For it's the, very healthy. For yeah, the, of course, that's right. a lot of a lot of viewers as well, though. Yeah, you would think that. Gene Bliss here on the Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth, and it's called Emotions, Not Stuff. We'll find out what that's all about. Welcome to the Customer Experience, making customers your true priority for a profitable outcome. With your host, author, speaker, consultant, and customer crusader, Gene Bliss. In our quest to keep our best customers, we really have missed the boat with the prevalent loyalty program mentality. We should not be focusing on the points or stuff we give customers, but more importantly, focus on how we make our best customers feel about doing business with us and how important they are to us. Building loyalty and earning the right for continued loyalty with our best customers is about managing relationships and emotions, not program components, fulfillment houses, and the amount of logoed stuff we can get on their desks. See if you can't instill that in your corporation so you can add this critical and sorely missed dimension into the way we manage customer loyalty. Next time a meeting is called to discuss loyalty programs, Get people instead to kick around how to increase the emotional standing with your customers, in addition to adding the newest whiz-bang feature to the Loyalty Points program. Customers will notice, and you'll find that it opens a floodgate of creative opportunity in what you can and should do for your best customers to keep them that way. This has been your weekly installment of The Customer Experience with Gene Bliss. Directing transformational customer insights for major U.S. market leaders, Gene is Corporate America's change agent for a new inspirational understanding of today's consumer. To learn more about Gene's books and speaking engagements, or simply how to drive customer profitability for your company, log on to CustomerBliss.com. Thanks, Gene, on the advertising show with Ray Shillings, Brad Forsyth. Uh, just ahead, Tom Asacker out of New Hampshire. Tom, uh... Writes, teaches, speaks about radically new practices and ideas for marketplace success in chaotic times. And uh, that's chaotic as always, right? He's a brand advisor and author of critically acclaimed books, including his latest, the one we're talking about today, A Little Less Conversation. He's also done A Clear Eye for Branding, published by Paramount uh, Market Publishing out of New York. In Tom Peters' renowned book, Reimagine, Peters refers to Asacker as a marketing guru. Uh, more often described, that's to see dresses and, and sits funny, you know, sits like with the legs yeah, crossed. Smokes out of that pipe. That exactly. Yeah. More described as a catalyst and nonconformist and acclaimed for his no-nonsense style, Tom, uh, uh, the author of A Little Less Conversation, groundbreaking book uh, that redefines business for the new customer-controlled economy, uh, a popular speaker. He's lectured on uh, customer relationships, uh, business, branding, innovation to corporate association and university audiences around the world. Uh, also, Tom is the, uh, the recipient of a really cool award. It's the George Land Innovator of the Year Award. Holds medical patents and a product design award recognized by Inc., MIT, and others. So uh, it should be it should be a, a great interview, and we invite you to uh, stay with us here uh, on the advertising show. You have something there, you holding? Well, I did, and I was going to put it away, but I'll go ahead and pull it out here because what do we have? A little less than a minute left. About a, yeah, about a minute. Yeah. Well, uh, apparently, if you're worried about your company's data and security from outside threats, apparently you need to stop worrying because, according to a new study, Ray, your own employees are much more likely to be the cause of any data breach. This is a newly released uh, CompuWare study that says that only one percent of data theft 
this past year was the result of outside hackers. Instead, it's negligent employees that are to blame when data fails and uh, falls into the wrong hands. So really? keep a, keep an eye on your own people. Don't be so worried about those outside your organization. Not that we want you to be paranoid or anything about your own employees. No. I would say a strip search would be good. It doesn't. (laughs) Right before they come to work. Yeah, exactly. That that might uh, get you. I'll handle the females. (laughs) I'm sure you will. (laughs) And they'll handle. uh, uh, Google pitches digital ads amid the the slowdown here. That economic slowdown. There it is again. There we go. Telling clients it can help them beat the recession and is urging them not to turn their backs on digital advertising. Uh, what they're saying, although Google reported a robust third quarter last month, cuts to marketing budgets are beginning to weigh on digital advertising. Yeah, you know, beginning to weigh, maybe cutting back a little bit. Yeah, 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 but uh, just don't throw it out the window. It's a good idea to stay in touch with your people who you'd like to sell stuff to, if you know what I mean. With Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth on the Advertising Show, powered by Shipple.com. That's S-C-H-I-P-U-L.com. Check it out. Here comes another typical commercial. I could get your attention by blowing a foghorn or maybe an awesome scream. But even that doesn't cut through the clutter enough to really captivate your attention. If you're an advertiser and you really want your message to be heard, then reach for the golden nugget of advertising. It's what's called a captive audience. One company delivers this much sought-after captive audience. And believe it or not, it's just the people you want to reach, business professionals and decision makers. It all happens in 23 of North America's largest and most progressive markets. And the captive audience is right there in the elevators of select premier office towers. Over 8,000 high-quality video screens get people's attention with what research proves they want, news and information. It's all combined with your branded message in a way that only this captive audience sees and absorbs. Cut the waste in your advertising budget by reaching just who you want to reach. Don't just advertise. Captivate your audience. To find out more, click on Captivate.com. Make your advertising dollars work smarter. You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. My dog's better than your dog. My dog's better than yours. My dog's As promised, our very special guest and the author of a book called A Little Less Conversation, Tom Asak, out of New Hampshire. Tom, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you here at The Advertising Show. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Happy New Year. It's great to be here. Well, thank you, Tom, and uh, honored to have you on the show today. You know, Tom, uh, over the past seven years, we've had many guests on the show that uh, have said that we're moving to a world where marketers must connect with consumers with a uh, with a one-to-one conversation, you know, via social communities, experiential marketing, etc. So, is the title of your book a little less conversation, suggesting the opposite? Uh, well, no, it's not suggesting the opposite. It's, it's emphasizing something more than anything. It's, it's actually a play on the uh, Elvis Presley song of the same name, mm-hmm. uh, where he talked about a little less conversation, a little more action, please. You know, close your mouth and open up your heart and, baby, satisfy me. Mm-hmm. I mean, w- what I think too many companies are doing now are, are moving in the, in the opposite direction from delivering value in their product, service, people, advertising, all of that. And they're out there conversing and listening and looking for some magic formula that doesn't exist. The formula is to provide people with value in exchange for their time and their money. The difference being value today is a much more nuanced expression, and the ability to deliver it is much more difficult today than it was, say, in 
the 50s and 60s. Yeah, and uh, a little bit overused nowadays, don't you think? Yeah, I, I do. I, I, we really have It's kind of like the word brand. You know, it's evolved over time, uh, but, uh, you know, a lot of people are stuck in the 50s idea of what a brand is. And it's the same thing with value. Value has evolved tremendously over time, but we're kind of stuck in the features and benefits and, you know, the, the functionality of products and services being what value is about, that and pricing. And, and like I said, it, it's much more complicated and nuanced than that. So uh, before we get into you sharing perhaps your definition of value, let's let's talk a little bit about the the format of the book. For those that don't have the benefit as Ray and I do of holding a copy of your book, I must say it's a very interesting format that you have created here, Tom. Describe the format and how you came up with the idea. Yeah, it's it's an interesting format. I came up with it because I had read some uh, conversations. And in, in I think it was a book on Zen Buddhism between a father and son. Uh, the, the son was a Zen Buddhist monk, and the father, I don't remember exactly what he did, but they had this dialogue back and forth about Zen Buddhism, and, by, and, and it kept me engaged. And by the end of the book, I really understood from both people's perspectives what, what it was all about as opposed to having it lectured to me, mm-hmm. uh, I, I w- went through the dialogue process with, with this person's dad, and I better understood the meaning behind what they were saying. By, so I said, well, I'll try the same approach. I'll have a hypothetical conversation between myself and, say, uh, an executive at a company to try to flesh out exactly what all these new concepts are about. Yeah, and I must say, uh, you know, it's it's almost as if you're either at times uh, you're asking the question that the reader might be, uh, and uh, you're anticipating the reader might be asking themselves, or in some cases it's as if the reader's listening in on a dialogue that you're having with uh, another person, and it's a really interesting way to to uh, connect with the the reader. Uh, you know, one of your edicts in the uh, the book is uh, inertia is your enemy. Explain what you mean by this, Tom. Well, I don't think that people realize, both for themselves and for their customers, that most of our behavior is, is autopilot. I would say somewhere between 40 and 50% of what we do daily is done during the same times, in the same places, with the same products and services and people and platforms. So that, that level of inertia is a difficult thing to overcome, both for a marketer to, to, to help customers overcome that inertia and for companies and organizations and their people come those, those safe, comfortable routines that, that allow them to get today because we have to be on autopilot most of the day. Our brains can't handle trying to figure out exactly what decisions to make. Uh, you can't get up in the morning and say, should I put on my socks first today or should I slide on my underwear first? I mean, you've got to go through some routine behavior to get through the day. Mm-hmm. And where it becomes your enemy is where it's, when it stops you from progressing in your life, from discovering new things and trying, and trying new approaches to the marketplace. Well, or you could be like Ray and I, just not wear underwear. But uh, you know, uh, you know, you're right. And uh, habits, people are, are creatures of habit, and, and breaking out of those is, is uh, it's it's really Tom. Uh, 
a feeling of safety, I think, that a lot of people uh, revert back to, don't you think? No, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, people don't fear, you, you've heard the old expression, people fear change. But they don't fear change, because what, what is change? What they fear is the unknown. Right. They don't really know what this change is going to bring, and that's why they resist changing. I would rather, you know, the devil that I know right. than the one that I don't. Yeah. Give, giving up the familiar, if you will. Absolutely. Yeah. On the advertising show, Ray Shillings, Brad Forsyth, wasn't that a campaign slogan? Change, I thought. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Hey, guy got elected. <laughs> it's uh, Ray Shillings, Brad Forsyth, and uh, Tom Azacker, author of a book called A Little Less Conversation. We've got time for a couple of more segments. We hope you're enjoying the show and hope you come back with us here at The Advertising Show. Why do more media professionals read IWantMedia.com? IWantMedia.com features reports from industry leaders and media personalities. IWantMedia.com gives you quick access to news, stats, trade orgs, and industry publications, and it's updated daily. Forbes says IWantMedia.com contains everything media professionals need to stay ahead of the game. The Washington Post calls it the source for the serious media geek. Do you get it? If you don't, you should. To sign up for free daily email alerts, visit IWantMedia.com. Make informed decisions about your company's advertising strategy. This is The Advertising Show. We are back with uh, Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth and our special guest out of New Hampshire, the author of the book called A Little Less Conversation. Tom Asacker is our special guest. Tom, welcome back to the show. Thanks. Thanks. I'd like to welcome our listeners from around the world. And, uh, Tom, by the way, I wanted to congratulate you on a great book. I encourage all of our listeners to check out aclearei.com for more information about Tom and his book. Uh, and a great read, I might add. You mentioned earlier last segment that the uh, that value is a, a much more complicated uh, concept to describe today. Talk a little bit about that, Tom. Well, for people living uh, in, in this postmodern industrialized world, right, brands are much more than mere functional solutions to problems. This whole idea of rational man who's trying to accomplish something in the marketplace and then get on with his life, that doesn't make any sense because the marketplace now is where we spend most of our time. That's where we seek enjoyment and engagement and social interactions. Uh, so this notion of what value is transcends price, delivery, quality, and, and you know, it goes, in, it goes deeper into things like, uh, you know, what's the, looking, what's the look and feel? I mean, am I like, am I like this? Uh, you know, do I feel connected? Where's the engagement? Am I, is it inspiring me? Do I get some laughs? Is it surprising? Uh, are they letting me be involved? Uh, do I have control over my situation? Um, conscious value, this whole, the, the whole green movement is all about contribution and service and giving back and taking care of the world. So value is, is a much more complicated concept and it's much, much more difficult to, to, to weave those into your value offering. 
And and so how does a company track uh, the various uh, components of the of the brand value of their product or service? Well, that's a that's a real good question. In, in essence, the company's ability to take these components of value and creatively bring them bring them to life. That's their strategic advantage. That's what makes Apple Apple. The fact that they understand how to do that, they understand their customers well enough, they have the insights to be able to weave in these various value components into their products and services and give them that that big edge, even though they weren't first to the market with their products. And are there concerns, I mean, do do companies, let's say when they develop a, a product and bring it to market, the consumer really begins to define the value. It's not the company, correct? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that that's the big problem today. I mean, a lot of companies are hoping that via communication that they can change the perception of value in the customer's mind. And it's not working for them anymore. I mean, we've you know, we've got Detroit telling us our cars are as good as Japanese cars. Right. The value is there. They're the problem's a perception problem. Well, there's no such thing as a perception problem. Perception is what it is. And the perception of value is in the mind's eye of the person that's experiencing the brand. Hmm. It, it sounds like, you know, it sounds simple, but it's really not that simple. It requires businesses to take an outside-in view of, of their brand, of their offering, from a value component perspective. You know, uh, you say today's marketplace, Tom, is all about subjective well-being as opposed to material gain, yet 60%, they say, of our economy, 60%, is based on consumer purchases. And, of course, everywhere we look, uh, Americans are striving for more, more income, for more purchases, for bigger homes and better schools for their children, et cetera. So are, are you saying the the large segment of upwardly mobile consumers are, are not about material gain? No, I'm saying no one is. See, what they, what they believe that they're getting from material gain is happiness, is subjective well-being. Now, we've proven now since the 50s that making more and more and getting more and more and buying more and more is not making us happier. So we're starting to wise up. But our belief has been that if we buy this thing, we will be more desirable, happier, live longer, uh, all of that. So everything that we do has to do with the subjective well-being, even saving money, all right? If we want to save money, why are we doing that? We're either doing it because the, because of the thrill of getting the deal, like the Black Friday folks, right. or because we think that it's going to improve our lives in the future. Mm-hmm. So it's all subjective <laughs> because people keep spending money. They're just spending it in different places. I read somewhere where I, I can't remember the exact figure, but after you know your basic needs are are, ta- are taken care of and you're making you know thirty forty thousand dollars a year, that uh, they, they know now factually that uh, making more than thirty or forty thousand dollars a year does not increase your happiness. Uh, uh, you, I'm sure you've read that and, and know about that. Yeah, that's absolutely right. The other thing that that people don't realize, I, I, I think, is that we, we use Maslow and his hierarchy of needs as a model. Like, well, people first people have to have shelter and this, and then they move up the chain, 
it, it doesn't work like that. I mean, I was reading somewhere that after, right after the fall of the Taliban in Afghanistan, the first thing women did was went out and had like their makeup and their nails done. Hmm. Right. So there was this aesthetic and the way they looked that trumped running water. Wow. So you know, people people make decisions based on how it makes them feel about themselves. And, and and it's not logical. Our special guest here on the advertising show this uh, this weekend, a brand new weekend, brand new year, is uh, Tom Asek. A little less conversation. Hey, Shillings and Brad Forsyth, along with you, and uh, one more segment to spend with Tom, and we'll do that in just a moment. How can 18 different companies all sell the exact same thing known as water? It starts here in Advertising Age, the leading source for marketing, advertising, media, and ideas. For almost 75 years, we've covered the most thought-provoking, groundbreaking stories in the industry, giving you the competitive edge to be a leader. Your job demands you not only have good ideas, but great ideas. And those great ideas have to start somewhere. And that somewhere is in the pages of Advertising Age and also online at adage.com. How can you get someone's attention if you don't have $10 million in a celebrity endorsement? It starts here in Advertising Age, the leading source for marketing, advertising, media, and ideas. For almost 75 years, we've covered the most innovative and groundbreaking stories in the industry, giving you the competitive edge to be a leader. The next big idea demands out-of-the-box thinking. Start your search for greatness in the pages of Advertising Age and also online at adage.com. Simplifying the complex world of advertising. To reach Ray and Brad with your questions, log on to theadvertisingshow.com. This is The Advertising Show. Men, nothing takes it off like Noxima medicated cheese. Tom's book is called A Little Less Conversation. It's brand new. Uh, check it out, too. Uh, a Clear Eye. That's A. C L E A R E Y E dot com is the uh, is the website, and uh, Tom Asacker out of New Hampshire. Tom, uh, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Yeah, let's share some of your wisdom from your book in little short spurts here with the time we have left. Tom, you say to create customers, you must innovate to add value to their lives. Explain what you mean. Well, people are inundated with products and messages and 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 promotions and. They're time starved. If you don't, if you don't offer something that they can rapidly intuit the value from, well, I should get off of this path that I'm on, step off for a minute and look at what this person has and, and dig deep into it. They're not going to do that unless there's some type of com- compelling value in there, something that, that adds value and improves their life. And and do you think that uh, regardless of the economic situation that we're in, that uh, when it comes to brands, it's really about remaining relevant uh, to consumers? Oh, yeah, that's all it's about. And, and, and it comes down to this word relevance, right? If, if you could have the customer's eyes and their heart and their gut, then you would understand what relevance means. Unfortunately, we get bound up in what we do all day long in our organizations, and we believe that what we do is relevant without even getting a gut check on whether that's relevant to these busy people. So how do you step back and and get out of the forest to be able to see it more clearly? Well, I think you have to to be with them. You know, go where they go and, and watch what they do and listen to the conversations that they have with each other and 
experience what they experience. Uh, I remember reading something about Intuit years ago, and, and when they released the product, they, they did the standard, well, we'll call people and we'll ask them, do they like the product? And, uh, and they said, well, yeah, I like it. Well, they were comparing it to a checkbook, so obviously, yes, they liked it. But then when Intuit went and said, well, can we come sit with you and watch you use the product? And while they sat and watched the users punching in, you know, the, the different keys, they saw the frustration of trying to use the product. So that gave them that, that knowledge, that edge to go back and make it even better for the user to eliminate, eliminate those, those problems and those frustrations. You know, we've heard over and over from uh, branding and marketing experts, uh, and they all say the same thing, just as you just said. You know, forget your, forget your consumer market research, forget your... Your, your blind studies, your yeah, your focus, focus groups, groups yeah. all of that. Get out where your consumers are. Uh, get down to their level and, and, and rub elbows with them and find out how they think, and, and, and that's going to be the best information that you can use to, to further your company. Absolutely. There was an inventor, David Levy, he, and he said that he went by the curse effect. He said, when I hear someone curse, I know it's a sign to invent something. <laughs> Good idea. Go you know, a uh, couple final questions here before we wrap it up. What, what, to your way of thinking, Tom, is the most misunderstood behavior, behavioral aspect about consumers today? I think the, the most misunderstood, at least in, in, in the marketing uh, universe, is that people are persuaded by communications the way they used to be. Uh, and they're not. They're highly skeptical of communications. And so the, 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 the real way to, to get through to customers is to create something that allows them to find the meaning and to persuade themselves instead of trying to push messages, create something that will allow people to intuit the value based on sensory experience, on conversations with people, on showing them something creative that gives them joy, that they can then, in their own mind, say, attribute that feeling to the company that, that provides it. I think that's the most misunderstood thing, is that people are not going to be persuaded. They need to persuade themselves. Tom, it's a great book, no doubt. We invite our listeners to go out and get it. A little less conversation. Tom Asacker is the author. Tom, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks. Continued success in 09 with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth on the Advertising Show. More to come in just a minute. There is somewhere better to get inspired creative ideas, and this is where it's at. OpenAd.net, the first online platform for advertisers, changing the way that ideas are created and traded. Access nearly 11,000 creative minds representing 125 countries around the world, waiting online to have a go at your brief. Imagine the impact such range and diversity of talent can have on your next advertising campaign. All creative work is IP cleared before you get it. We take care of all the details while you get brilliant ideas in a fraction of the time, at a lower cost, and with a lot less fuss. No endless meetings, no away days. When a client needed a PR campaign to include people who couldn't make it to the G8 rally, they got 53,000 people to join a virtual protest and a campaign that won two international creative awards. OpenAd.net, busting down the walls of the ad industry. Put us to the test. Just go to OpenAd.net and give us a try. What have you got to lose?
The future starts here. You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. Some great conversation about a book called A Little Less Conversation with our guest Tom today here on The Advertising Show. With Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. What is that you're holding? Well, you know... uh Competition between the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal is uh, heating up and has been uh, started last month, I guess, Ray, when the Journal expanded news coverage and news a new lifestyle magazine. Uh, and now they're starting to attract wealthy consumers and luxury advertisers uh, from the Times, such as Saks and uh, Times. Uh, the Times advertisers, uh, the, as far as Saks, have been with the publication since 1924. Hmm. Some other publication, uh, other uh, advertisers, I should say, Dolce & Gabbana, uh, LVMH, Moet Hennessy, uh, all started advertising in the journal, which is something unusual. You would not have seen those type of advertisers in the uh, Wall Street Journal, the consumer advertisers, as as they're now uh, coming to uh, the Wall Street Journal. Typically, uh, Wall Street would get all the financial advertisers and so forth. Well, maybe it's about time they got... Yeah, I would, else I would think so. And, you know, Rupert, uh, buying that uh, publication, he wasn't really going to – his plan wasn't to drive uh, advertising sales down but to expand it. Circulation, mm-hmm. by the way, Ray, at both papers is also shifting. The journal's average individually paid circ rose 2.4% to $1.4 million, uh, as of this past September compared to a year ago. Uh, and the time slid 5.5% to 858,000 uh, on that same uh, basis. So mm. it's, uh, you know, one's going one direction, another's going another. Very and the advertisers are, are shifting to the journal as well. So that's interesting. Uh, by the way, next week, uh, I want to mention this. Uh, we've got uh, Linda Resnick. Uh, she's an author. It's called Ruby's in the Orchard. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, Lynn will be with us uh, next week. Here. Great author. Roll into 09. Yeah. Uh, something brand new for uh, for 09 here. Um, bartering for advertising. That's uh, No, it's not new, but yeah. what they're suggesting is more people are doing this to oh. uh, basically once considered a last resort. Right. Uh, is now being considered an attractive strategy in tough times. More common. How, how long is it going to be before we have to stop saying Tough economic times. Brad. Hopefully soon. Yeah, exactly. The yeah. search to stretch ad dollars in today's recessionary climate, depression, as an increasing <laughs> number of marketers using a tactic once considered a last resort, barter advertising. Uh, this is according to adweek.com. Uh, the corporate trade sector has existed for decades. We know that. Mm-hmm. Metro traffic, a good example of that uh, so many, many years ago. And most, a lot of restaurants do that with local media companies. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. But right. uh, the process involves clients exchanging unsold goods. Services and other underperforming assets, such as real estate, leases on stores, they have closed for ads. Most deals involve a combination of cash and credit, because I don't know of any uh, uh, any organization that's going to take all trade. Right. Uh, but up until recently, many marketers not waiting, uh, wanting to tip the, uh, the competition to perceived weaknesses in their sales models, consider it something akin to a dirty little secret. So what they're doing now in these tough economic times is resulting to uh, bartering for ads. So. Well, you, you own a production facility, uh, produce radio and television uh, commercials. Would you barter with the advertiser? We do barter. You do? Oh, we do. We, we, but we do cash trade. Mm-hmm. Combination uh, of both yeah. cash and trade, I say, yeah. So there, there's a benefit there. Uh, if it's something that's of value to either us or someone uh, down the line that we might pass that along to. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Nothing yeah. wrong with that. And the compensation is as good as or better. 
because you're kind of allowing and adjusting the you know the business model to to accommodate mm-hmm. that. So in your case, it's uh, great services. You do you do the same work whether it's all cash or part cash, part trade. It's the same work you're providing. There's no difference. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely, you've had good success with that. I've had never had a problem with that. Yeah, well, that's yeah. good. Yeah, it's a good thing. We have uh, who do we have here? Hold on just a minute. I've got. Uh, I'm lost. Shamine Abbas, our activist for excellence. Cultivate your publicist. Okay, that involves adding a little. Uh, a fertilizer, I guess. Let's listen. And now it's time for Activist for Excellence. PR, publicity, and crisis management instruction for today's marketing professional. Now, here's your host, the uncompromising Shameen Abbas. Cultivate your publicist. Accessibility and information exchange. Key. One of the main tasks a PR firm undertakes is absorbing a client's mission and purpose so that every communication on behalf of that client is consistently on message. The absolute best way to cultivate your publicist is to spend time together, even if it has to be over the phone. Your publicist and your PR firm should have the inherent ability to absorb your message, your company's philosophy and personality. It's essence, so to speak. A publicist is most effective when speaking about a product, service or person or manufacturer with the confidence that comes from in-depth knowledge. It's important, especially at the beginning of your relationship, to have an open line of communication with your PR firm. One of a PR firm's greatest frustrations is to spend time and effort writing a release or a pitch that you feel is not an accurate portrayal. Without concrete direction and input from you, your publicist's second or third efforts may still even fall short. Make time to give your publicist constructive feedback if the release needs work or the quote attributed to you just doesn't sound like something you'd say. And now it's the publicist's job to adapt to that. Good PR is a collaboration. Your PR firm should be coming to you with ideas for pitches. You should be feeding your publicists any news or developments that can be used to further promote what you do, of course. In the absence of breaking news, your PR firm can literally manufacture compelling reasons for the media to pay attention. But that takes some insider knowledge of your story to impel an effective pitch. Publicists are always looking for a unique angle, and one can be found about even the most mundane of topics. Widgets may not be exciting, but if the widget maker is a woman who inherited the business from her grandfather and turned it into the largest regional widget maker, now there's a story. You've been listening to Activist for Excellence, PR, publicity, and crisis management instruction for today's marketing professional with host Shameen Abbas. Shameen is president and founder of Shameen Abbas Public Relations, a full-service agency providing local, regional, national, and international media relations, special event production, and inventive promotion with offices in New York City and West Palm Beach. To learn more, visit ShameenAbbasPR.com. That's S-H-A-M-I-N-A-B-A-S-P-R.com. And many thanks once again to Shameen Abbas for being a part of the advertising show this year and uh, coming into uh, the brand new year. Cultivate your publicist is what she talked about today. Same for uh, Jean Bliss, who's been with us for a while now as our customer experience type person. And uh, so Jean and, and Shameen and uh, all of the contributors to the advertising show, uh, many thanks. And we look forward to a recession-free um, <laughs> 2009. Uh, it's, it's amazing it's a brand new year, huh? It really is. Wow. And, uh, you know, I, for one, I'm, I don't know how you feel, Ray, but I'm going to uh, dedicate myself to speaking positively about the economy and things on huh. the upswing and just promote those things that are positive, upward moving economic trends okay yeah 
would that be on the show or off? The show? I don't know. Uh, no, on the show and on off the, the show? show. But speaking of that, radio is in decline. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> don't do that. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll try and make it a positive experience for you. Hope you enjoy the show. Tell a friend about the advertising show. AdvertisingShow.com is the destination, and there's a, a whole bunch of stuff up there, uh, past interviews and such to listen to as well, including uh, coming up Linda Resnick, our author of Rubies in the Orchard, coming up next week here on the Advertising Show. Ray Sheldon's and Brad Forsyth. Happy New Year! The Advertising Show, brought to you by Advertising Age Magazine. Visit online at adage.com and by Captivate Network. Visit them at captivate.com. The Advertising Show. It's a big radio midgets production.